Good morning, Stonebridge. Uh, welcome once again. Uh, if you turn to Genesis with us, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6 this morning. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about Genesis 6 and, and the story of Noah. There are two essential realities that are presented in this account of Noah. First, God hates sin. Secondly, God loves people. God hates sin and loves people. But here's what we're tempted to believe. We're tempted to believe two lies almost every day. All of us are tempted to believe these lies, especially during a pandemic. And it's this, that God is okay with my sin and that God does not love me or at least love me as much as he says he does. So let's, let's find out the truth. Let's, let's, not just, not, let's not just find out the truth. Let's let this truth sink into our, our, the very core of our beings, into our hearts this morning, that God really does hate sin way more than we think he does. And God really does love us way more than we ever thought. So let's look at it. Let's start with those two realities before we delve deep into this text. God hates sin. Why? That's a hard truth to grapple with, especially in our culture, but God hates sin. Here's why. It is an assault on his nature. It's an assault on his nature. God is holy. God is sinless. God is flawless. He is totally different from us. He is, he is totally above us. He is without sin and we are full of sin. It's an assault on his very nature. That's why he hates it. Secondly, God hates sin because it's an attack on his beautiful design for us, for humans. Genesis 6, 5 through 7. We're going to start in verse 8 today, but 5 through 7 says this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Sin is an attack on God's beautiful design for humans. See here, we see in Noah's day, sin had so terribly distorted God's image in humans, in humans that, that you, you could barely, barely recognize them as image bearers of God sucked the beauty right out of us. Think of like the Mona Lisa or, or a famous painting and someone just coming up with, with, with spray paint and graffiti all over it to where you can't even recognize it. That's what happened. Do you see that? Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's an attack on God's beautiful design for humans. God hates sin also because sin is an attempt to be God, ultimately. Remember in the garden, Genesis 3, the snake, the devil comes to Eve and says, you, you know, you'll be like God if you take this fruit. You can be God. See, sin is when the created thinks they know better than the creator. I know better than you, God, I should be God. And we may not ever even say those things or think those things in that way, but that's what sin is. Sin is an attempt to be God. It is, is an assault on his nature and it, it, is an, it is an attack on his beautiful design for humans. That's why God hates sin. But secondly, God loves humans. 
Why does he love us? He loves us because it's his nature. God is love, it says in 1 John 4. We see it throughout scripture. God referred to as the God of love, full of loving kindness. We see it throughout the Old and New Testament. It's his nature. But he also loves us because we're made in his image. We saw that in chapter 1 of Genesis. But we see it here in chapter 9 today. 9.6 says, For God made man in his own image. God loves us because we represent him. We reflect him. And the third reason God loves humans is good question. (laughs) When you look rightly at God's hatred of sin and and then take a microscope in on your own sin in your own heart and life, you just go, what? God, God loves me? God loves Anybody look at us. We're so full of sin. Why? And when you start to get and when you when you start to believe that, you're starting to get it. That's exactly it. We don't know why God loves us. There's no good reason for him to love us besides being made in his image, and that's his nature. But in, in and of ourselves, there's no reason to love us. We're messed up. But yet he does. So let's look at this passage with this lens. God hates sin. And God loves humans. How does this happen? I'm just going to be hopping around just so you know from chapter 6 verse 8 all the way to the end of chapter 9. That's the account of Noah. But here we see God hating sin by condemning the wicked. Verses 11 through 13. Chapter 6, 11 through 13. Read with me. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He condemns the wicked here. Theologian Kenneth Matthews in his commentary says this, Whereas God has blessed the human family with the power of procreation to fill the earth, these culprits have filled the earth by procreating violence. You see, everyone at this time, except for Noah, we're going to find out, took God's wonderful command to fill the earth, to procreate, and instead filled it with what God hates, sin, violence, a degradation of God's own image. And we see here, it says three times in 11 through 13, this word corrupt, twice it says violence. Do you see how serious sin is? Do you see how seriously wicked mankind had become in the days of Noah? When you start to see this, you you begin to understand why there's such an extreme punishment that God gives out here. God promises to end this evil mockery of himself. God hates sin by condemning the wicked. But God loves humans as well. Remember, God loves humans. Therefore, he walks with the faithful. He walks with Noah. 6 verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. It says here that Noah was blameless and righteous. What does that mean? It doesn't mean he was perfect. It means that he was faithful. Faithful is a good word to describe Noah. He's the opposite of what it said, verse 5. All everyone else, except for Noah on the earth. Everyone else was this. It said their intentions and the thoughts of their heart 
were only evil. Noah's intentions and thoughts of his heart most of the time were faithful to God. Again, sometimes they weren't, but most of the time he was faithful to God. Faithfulness to Noah and and faithfulness in general to God looks like this, obedience. 6.22, Noah did this, it says. He did all that God commanded him. 7 verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. He's telling him, build the ark, do this, do that, and he does it to a T. He does everything God says to him. He's obedient. That's what faithfulness looks like. Faithfulness also looks like relationship. It says here that Noah walked with God. This is similar to, but not exactly like Adam and Eve in the garden walking with God. This is relationship. It's different because now they're in this sin-infested world, including Noah, who has sin. But, so it certainly wasn't as close a relationship, but it was similar. He's walking with God, has relationship with God. Because God loves humans, therefore he walks with the faithful. But remember, God hates sin, so God follows through. He doesn't just condemn the wicked, he destroys the wicked. He follows through. Look at chapter 7, turn over a page or two to 7 verse 20. It says, The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. I'll just stop there before we get to God destroying everything. This is a flood, okay? I skipped a bunch in there. Go back and read it later. But God sends this flood. And it's a crazy depiction. Go, go and check it out later. But there's water coming up from the ground and from above, okay? So just, just water tank, just it's, it's, it's nuts. But it's, it's even more nuts than you might think. So it says here that the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. That's 20 feet above the highest mountain. Now, I don't know what the highest mountain was before the flood. Uh, there, there's really no way to figure that out. But we know that the highest mountain now is Mount Everest. And that sits at 29,035 feet. So 20 feet above that, 29,055 feet. Now, let me give you some perspective. Boone, Iowa, sits at 1,135 feet, which is actually way higher than I expected for as flat as it is around here. But how many of you have been to the Willis Tower? Raise, I guess you can't raise your hand. Uh, if you're on Facebook, say I've been to the Willis Tower now or give a thumbs up or something like that or, or heart. If you've been to the Willis Tower, it used to be Sears Tower in Chicago. They have this glass ledge you can go out on. I've never done it. I never will because just looking at this picture makes me want to throw up because I hate heights. But the Willis Tower is, is really high. And imagine for a second that the flood was that high. It flooded in Boone as high as the Willis Tower. You just dropped the Willis Tower in the middle of Boone and you had a flood that high. But now imagine that the Willis Tower is stacked 19 and a half times on top of itself. And that is how high this flood would have been. And that's only figuring that Mount Everest is the highest mountain. There were, I, I would guess that there was probably higher mountains before the flood. I don't know why. Just I, God's awesome. So anyway, uh, this is crazy. This is a crazy flood. You can't even imagine that much water. Okay? Um, he's destroying the wicked. And it says in verse 21, we'll keep reading, And all flesh died 
that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Those are some graphic verses, okay? This is not happy flannel graph children's Bible stuff, okay? It drives me nuts when I see the children's Bible and it's, oh, look, there's Noah on the ark with all the animals and they're all smiling and yay, okay? It's not like this picture here. It's like this picture, okay? People are drowning. Everyone except Noah and his family is drowning on earth. This is not a pretty picture, he, God follows through on what he said he would do and destroys the wicked. Why? Because he hates sin and he will not tolerate it. But remember, God loves humans. God loves people. So he saves the faithful. 7 verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. See, he literally saves Noah and his whole family. Now, why did he save Noah? He saved Noah because he was faithful. He was righteous. But why all of Noah's family? I mean, his family could be those very wicked people that, that motivated God to have this flood anyways, right? But why? I think, I think first, just practically, so that, humans could fill the earth again so that they could procreate. But I think also God being outside of time was foreshadowing something. You know, just as Noah's family got God's grace and mercy because of Noah's righteousness and faithfulness, they got, they got saved because of Noah's faithfulness. You and I get God's mercy and grace because of Jesus's righteousness and faithfulness, not our own. So I think God was foreshadowing that for us today to go, oh, wow. He didn't just save the faithful. He saved Noah's family. And we can be adopted in as well if we trust in him. So God loves humans by saving the faithful. He loves humans by guiding the faithful. Look at the details of this. God gives Noah the ark plans. It says in verse 14 through 16 of chapter 6, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Okay, don't know what kind of wood that is, but it is very specific, okay? Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. I'm not going to go into the details of how big that is. Uh, kids, parents, there would be another great project for you as you're sitting at home. Uh, read chapter 6 and figure out the, the details and maybe try to come up with a model. Um, send it to me. That'd be, that'd be fun. And, and compare it to like a football field or something. That'd be good. But the, the point I want to drive home here is that God's de- God is caring for them in a very detailed way. He gives instruction to guide Noah because he loves him. And then we see he guides the faithful. He guides Noah by shutting the door for him. Verse 16, and those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. 
Now, I'm not 100% sure why God had to shut the door, but I'm guessing it's because Noah couldn't do it physically, okay? So God did him a solid and shut the door for him. He's a gentleman, apparently. Uh, but then we see that he guides the faithful by, by becoming a, a God-sized blow dryer for them. This is pretty cool. I, I've missed this before when I read it. 8 verse 1, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Okay, I just picture like God blowing across the water and you would have to. Remember how high this flood is? If, if a God-sized blow dryer doesn't come in here, um, it's, it's not gonna dry up. So he cares for them though. He's caring for him. He's guiding Noah because he loves him. And then he instructs him. Verse, chapter eight, verse 16, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. See that Genesis 1 language? He instructs them. He loves them. He cares for them. Flourish. Hey, it's time to get out of the boat. It's time to get out of the ark. He's guiding them. God has not changed. He interacts with us today in much the same way. God condemns and destroys the wicked. He hates sin just as much today as he did in Noah's day. But he walks with, he saves, and he guides the faithful. He loves people as much as he did in Noah's day. Our call is to be like faithful Noah to actively and eagerly obey. Noah just heard from God and obeyed, looked for opportunities to obey God. And he intentionally and intimately had a relationship with God. We are called to have an intentional and intimate relationship with Jesus. 6, 8 says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's this theme of the eyes of the Lord in scripture. And so we see in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord, Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. God's eyes, his gaze is drawn to the faithful. He is looking for people who are faithful to him. You might, think he, might be thinking right now, but what if I'm unfaithful? What about the times where I stumble? What about the times where I sin? Does God love me less or worse condemn me when I sin? Well, let's see what happens with Noah. There's a strange turn at the end of this story. So look with me at Genesis 9 verse 20 through 27. This is after their off the ark for a few years and it said Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. 
When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. See, this is unfaithfulness by Noah and his sons. This is unfaithfulness. Noah is not walking with God anymore. And some weird things happen here. And it's hard to discern what's going on, what's even right and wrong. What would Noah even know to be right and wrong at that point? But here's what we know. He was laying around naked from drunkenness. And then he curses Ham's son, his son, his grandson, Canaan. Now, I don't know if any of those things are, were right and wrong to them at that time, but here's, here's the point, okay? Noah was unfaithful to God. Right or wrong, where was God in all of this? What happened to walking with God? This stuff probably wouldn't have gone down if he was walking with God like he was before. Faithful Noah and his son Ham are now unfaithful to God. But God loves unfaithful humans. God loves humans, all humans, yes, but he even loves unfaithful humans. And there's a pivotal part of this text. I would say one of the most important parts of this whole passage is chapter 8, 20 to 22. Look at it. It says, then Noah built an altar. This is right after they get off the ark. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the, the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Notice in verse 21 that God says these things in his heart. God isn't talking to anyone at this point. He clearly shared it later with, with someone, but God is God is just saying these things in his heart. We get a glimpse of God's conversation going on in his very heart. And we see from God's heart, unconditional love. That is the heartbeat of God, unconditional love. Look, verse 21, God promises, I'm not gonna curse the ground anymore. There's gonna be no mass death like this again from me. And then verse 22, he said, there's gonna be blessings. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, they shall not cease. Yet, we also see in 21 that God recognizes the intentions of everybody. They're evil. They're sinful. It says, the, it says for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. God loves unfaithful, evil, sinful humans like you and I. And you might be thinking at this point, wait a minute. I thought God hated sin too. The whole earth just got wiped out because of sin and now he's just overlooking it. 
That is horribly inconsistent and unjust. And you're absolutely right. But the story doesn't end there. Look at 9 verse 12. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God took the arrow for our sin. See, God gives a sign to all human beings in the form of a rainbow, what we call a rainbow now. But notice he doesn't say rainbow. It says in verse 13, it says, I have set my bow in the clouds. Now, when we're talking about bow, we're talking about not this type of bow, okay, kind of this type of bow. Uh, we're definitely not talking about like the, uh, the Lucky Charms uh, type, of, type of bow going on with the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow thing, although that is the symbol that we see uh, now. What God was referring to was something more like this, but it wasn't quite like this. No, it was a warrior's bow. I don't even know how to hold it. <laughs> Clearly not mine. But it was a warrior's bow. See, while directly looking at your sin, even in the moments of your unfaithfulness, God who absolutely hates sin, when he has every right to condemn us, to condemn me and destroy us, he loves us to the point of turning his bow that should be aimed right at us and setting it down and pointing it upwards towards himself, toward his son. When you are tempted to believe the lie that God does not love you, think of the bow that God laid down. He laid down his warrior's bow and that was faced towards us and laid it down and pointed it straight at his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. As you see rainbows this spring and this summer, think of God's hatred of sin and his love of you to the point of turning his bow from you towards his son, Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you hate sin and that you love us. And so I thank you so much, God, that you set down your bow and pointed it towards heaven, towards Jesus. And I thank you, Jesus, for coming and taking the arrow that I deserve, that we deserve. Help us to live in light of that, God. Help us to appreciate the fact that you hate sin. To live in the reality that you hate sin and not treat it lightly, but God, also live in the reality that you absolutely love us way, way more than we deserve to the point that you took the punishment for our sin and laid down your warrior's bow for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.